You're listening to Resilience Recast, Episode 5, Keeping the Customer Engaged, Building Resilient Customer Experiences. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital work-from-anywhere world, visit salesforce.com. Hello and welcome to Resilience Recast. I'm Nisha Pillay. Consumer habits have undergone a sea change during the pandemic. The weekly shop at the supermarket is now a delivery to the door. Banking apps have gained a new following and focus as customers perforce move online. At a time when consumers are rethinking the way they do all their everyday tasks, maintaining customer loyalty through extraordinary customer experience is more important than ever. In this episode, we talk to leaders on the front line of customer experience and how they are building resilience into their organizations to maintain seamless customer service. Here to set the scene is Gavin Patterson, President and Chief Revenue Officer of Salesforce. One of the things that's become crystal clear over the last 12 months is that if you didn't have a digital strategy, frankly, you didn't have a strategy. It's as clear cut as that. The issues around digitalization, the importance of digital transformation, this is now an issue for the CEO. It's not something that is being delegated to the CIO or the CDO. It's it's become that important. So whether your business is B2B or B2C, having a direct relationship, a trusted relationship with your customer has become absolutely critical. But with that, I think there's a great opportunity. If you focus on your customers, create great customer experiences, you know, great outcomes. That means, ultimately, I think it'll lead to new levels of growth and ultimately more success over the long term. Later in the podcast, we'll be talking to Stefano Perego, Head of EU Operations at Amazon. But our first guest is Helen Beaton, Chief of Banking at Starling Bank in the UK. Helen Beaton, thank you for joining us on Resilience Recast. It's good to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Nisha. I'm very much looking forward to talking to you today. Tell us about Starling Bank. You're one of the more successful challenger banks, as they're called in the UK. How have you coped with the pandemic? Let me tell you a little bit about Starling then. So Starling was founded in um, 2014 by my my boss and CEO, an amazing woman called Anne Bowden. And uh, and it was born out of the last crisis that we lived through, the financial crisis of of 2008. And Anne had worked in banking for many years, um, but she was also a a technologist. She was a software engineer. And she recognised there was an opportunity to use technology to really transform the way banking worked. And so Starling was born in 2014 and, and launched to customers in 2016. And we launched initially for for retail customers, for for individuals to manage their account and and have a much easier way of banking and a a much more informed banking experience. And then two years later, we we launched an account for small businesses. Uh, And we've just grown and grown. We've got over 2 million customers now. And we have played an important part, I believe, in many customers' lives over the last year. So... It's been a very tough year. Um, this uh, this pandemic has hit everybody and we've had to adapt and we've changed and we've launched new products and we've just really tried to be there for our customers throughout. 
So how did your customers cope then? We were all plunged practically overnight into lockdown a year or so ago. What kind of things did you have to do to meet your customers' banking needs? It's been a fascinating time, really. And what, what you've seen is you've seen some very different experiences from different customers. So, of course, we've got some customers who, who were in, fell into the vulnerable category, who were um, in need of support and need of help and couldn't get out to the shops because they were isolated. And we were very, very pleased to very early on launch our connected card, which gave, um, gave our customers in that situation an ability to give a separate card out to somebody who could then go and do their shopping. And it came with more controls and it came with a limited spend. And that was a wonderful thing to be able to, to help customers with. Can I just ask you, did the customers themselves ask for this or did you come up with this idea? This is the interesting thing. Um, sometimes I don't think, sometimes customers don't know what they want. They know what their problem is. And then you have to try and take that problem and adapt and, and find a way to make it work. So, so nobody came and asked for a connected card. But once we launched it, we had a brilliant reception, really brilliant. And, uh, and we've got many customers now using that service. And there were a number of other products as well that Starling came up with, business bounce back loans, for instance. Can you tell us more about that and how you were able to develop them so quickly? Yes. Um, so the government in the UK announced um, schemes to help businesses access funding so that they could get support through the, through the coronavirus. And that, as you said, was the bounce back loan scheme in the UK and also the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme. So a couple of loan schemes, both of which gave businesses access to loans funded by UK banks that they could access and apply for quite quickly. The bounce back loan scheme they could apply for and get a decision within 24 to 48 hours. Uh, and then um, they would get access to funds and get a 12 month repayment holiday. So clearly in, in these times, that's very important for businesses. So Starling applied to be part of those schemes and to be able to offer both of the coronavirus loan scheme and the business bank bounce back loan scheme to the businesses that we had in the UK. The pandemic is an extreme change environment and it's very difficult, but the world is moving very quickly anyway. And so we wanted to be able to adapt and launch products very quickly. Some of these new products involved having to rethink the way in which you accept new customers, as I understand. So with your banker hat on, did you have to take a deep gulp, as it were, before you could launch some of these products? Obviously, we're in a regulated industry and, and we make sure we do things in the right way because that's important for customers' trust. So when we launched, we made sure that we had a full banking license so that customers who are depositing their money with us know that their money is protected up to £85,000. So customers are trusting us with their money. We want to be very careful with it. But we also complement that with a, a strong focus on the customer experience. And when the bounce back loan launched, we thought very carefully and our engineers in particular worked very hard on making sure that the application journey would be would be easy. Um, it meets all the checks, but it would be easy and quick to do. I was reading a blog by your CEO in which she seemed to be debating with herself almost. In order to process these loans quickly, you have to have laxer policies. You might be storing up problems for the future, but yet she felt it was the right thing to do. Can you talk us through the debate you must have had internally? 
it was a very, very important reflection for, for Anne and, and all of the team when we launched the bounce back loan schemes. Um, so the schemes were absolutely designed to get money to businesses very quickly. And as part of the scheme launch, we were able to sidestep some of the traditional credit checks that you may normally do with, with a loan. And uh, businesses were allowed to self-certify their credentials. And of course, you know, the majority of customers will, will be very honest and will do things in, in, in the right way. But once you start to relax those controls, then you do introduce an element of, of risk. And we were very, very alive to the risk. And I think we felt a great amount of responsibility at that time, not only to our borrowers to get the money to them quickly, but, but also to the UK taxpayer. This is, this is the UK taxpayer's money. And we want to support as many businesses as possible to get through this and to survive because that, that's hugely important for the economy. But unfortunately, um, you know, fraud is a is a real risk, and there have been some documented concerns about fraud. But yes, when you're doing an application journey in 24 hours, you know, you you do take on a different a different level of risk. Starling Bank made its first profit last year in the thick of the pandemic. Is there some kind of connection? We did, Nisha. We 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 turned our first profit at the end of last year. We've grown um, in the last year from a million customers to over 2 million and we're serving more customers and they're doing more business with us. And that is helping us to grow. And we've been able to lend, you know, banking is about lending and we've grown our lending and we're now lending one and a half billion to small businesses. So over 2 million customers, one and a half billion of lending. And that means that we have a, we have been able to build a profitable bank and we will continue to, to grow. What kind of feedback have you had from your customers, either new or existing, about the way in which you've been able to maintain your business and respond to them and help them with their banking needs through the pandemic? Throughout the organisation, we've got many, many ways in which we stay in touch with our customers and, and, and try and find out how we're doing and what, what we're doing well and, and where we might need to improve. Um, so we, you know, we talk to our customers all the time that they're on social media, they're, they're talking to us, they're, they're sharing their stories and, and they're also getting in touch. It doesn't always go right. They get in touch with us and, and sometimes we have to, to improve things. But, you know, we, we've had a really, really great response to the new services we've brought out, but we've also been able to stay open. So one of the things um, that was very important to us was that we were able to stay open and serve new businesses as well as as existing businesses. And, you know, we designed our application journey as an example to be something that people could do uh, very quickly from home uh, or wherever they are. And many businesses have started out during the, the crisis. It's, no, it's not just been about keeping existing businesses alive. There's also been some people starting out and, and finding new businesses. And we've had a, a couple of businesses. We had one customer who pivoted his business. So he, he was in charge of, he was doing um, a roofing business, but he had a license to actually take waste to a tip. And he realized that he could pivot his business because tips were closed for customers. So he pivoted and, and started doing waste 
uh, disposal for, for his local his local community. And that was a new business that he started out. And because we were still open, he was able to open an account. So, you know, I think that we, we've tried to listen to customers and, and hear what they need. And it's not just existing customers, it's also been new customers. It must be a tremendous sense of achievement in the middle of such a crisis-driven time. Now, as a licensed UK bank, Starling was obliged to have a business continuity plan, like all banks. But was a pandemic something you'd factored into this? Was it one of your scenarios? I it wasn't. Was it anybody's? Well, I don't. You know, I haven't spoken to anybody who had the, this kind of lockdown as a as a scenario. It's just it's it's really tested everybody. But we we were in a very strong place. Our technology was was in a strong place. We were able to move our teams out very, very quickly. We moved everybody out from lockdown within a week. They were all working remotely in a very stable and secure way and able to keep serving customers. And then we were able to make sure we were thinking about their well-being as well. I think that was really important. But no, it will be on continuity plans going forward, I'm sure. Our podcast is called Resilience Recast. What do you think are the key lessons that Starling has learned about resilience and sustainability from the last year? When Starling was designed, we were absolutely set up with the idea of a very, very resilient platform. And Starling has invested heavily in its own proprietary technology. And we have a system which enables us to release change and bring improvements to our technology on a very regular basis and not only to release quickly but also to roll back and make changes if if you experience any difficulties and and the, the starling platform is being built such that resilience is at the heart of of what we do and you know that has been hugely important over the last uh, well throughout our experience and we believe you know, if you're reliant on technology, having that resilience in your platform and your design is incredibly important to being able, enable you to keep serving your customers. Resilience at the heart of the customer experience. Helen Beaton, thanks so much for joining us on Resilience Recast. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Nisha. Coming up, we'll be talking to Stefano Perego, Head of EU Operations at Amazon. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital work from anywhere world, visit salesforce.com. I'm joined now by Stefano Perego, head of EU operations at Amazon. Welcome to Resilience Recast, Stefano. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's get started, Stefano. Could you give us a sense of the scale of the operations you're running at the moment, sitting in Luxembourg, the scale of the Amazon Europe operation? Sure. Uh, Amazon in Europe is now covering uh, five or six storefronts, which means the .it, .co.uk, .de websites. And we do that through a network of uh, hundreds of uh, facilities across the continent, really. That means we have uh, hundreds of uh, facilities where workers are in the region uh, of 2,000 for big facilities down to smaller numbers for small facilities. 
So hundreds of thousands of workers. Can you give us a sense of when you first realized that because of the pandemic, your business was going to be very different, that demand for Amazon was going to go through the roof? Yeah, I think it was uh, in February when we started having last year some call outs from uh, Italy, actually, um, a building that I launched back in uh, uh, 2011, 2012. And we started realizing that um, we needed to do something very quick, very fast. And we enter what we call in Amazon peak mode. Uh, we are used to have uh, uh, challenging situations in terms of volumes and demand, but usually they don't come with a virus, right? The, the peak, the definition of peak is uh, an event where demand spikes up very, very quickly. Um, so our organization is used to deal with peaks and we, we immediately decided to enter into what we call peak mode, which essentially is a very, uh, very quick, very fast uh, link across the chain from global to region to country to local operations on a daily, on a daily basis to monitor the situations. But given that this was a health crisis and not happy holidays, what were the first things that you had to put into place? The health and safety issues were so pressing. The first question was, what is required to make sure that our workers are safe? And the second question was, in line with that, what type of um, changes the local countries and governments are going to put in place? So I think we, we've been very quickly off the marks with the first question because um, we pretty much figured out we needed a total dedicated team to coordinate um, the health and safety uh, additional measures we would be required to, to satisfy. We usually are very focused on safety as our first priority in general, uh, but this was unprecedented and we needed to have a dedicated team to start working on it. So all in all, hundreds of managers got involved from the get-go in trying to shape uh, what is a, uh, an unprecedented set of measures to, to counter the virus. So you already had a number of processes yes. to deal with surges and orders, the peak period, as you call it. Yeah. But did you also have to invent wholly new ones? Well, we had to invent um, essentially how to uh, manage demand on a different basis. And we needed to redesign some operating processes in order to be fully compliant with the COVID measures we wanted to put in, in place. So, for example, we never had a process to measure the temperature at the entrance of the buildings. So we needed to step that up very quickly, provide the, the, the thermal cameras, ensure that people would queue, uh, respecting social distances. And the same applies to the inside of the building. We had to change the way our processes were running in order to respect social distancing, in order to provide um, enough space and enough cleaning options and enough staggering of the shifts to allow people to be safe and feel safe within the buildings. To your point, 
our ability to handle large volumes was already there, but what was not there and we needed to invent was the ability to handle demand. Yes, we, we needed to find a way to provide the right priorities according to what was must, must have from a customer standpoint. So the most urgent products for the customers were consumable products uh, such as unsanitizers, for example. Uh, and they, they needed to take priority within our processes versus what we usually would apply, which is a normal uh, set of uh, standard promises to whatever was required. So basically, when someone was ordering something which was very pandemic related, health and safety, masks, hand sanitizers and the like, there was a way in which the system flagged that up and put it to the head of the queue. Correct. And the same applied to other products that people needed in those times, like uh, office products uh, or even children books that did come in high demand for the customers in those times. We spoke earlier to Helen Beaton, the head of banking at Starling Bank, and she told us about how digital technology and the use of technology was so important to help the bank deal with a massive surge in new customers. So what role did technology play for you at Amazon Europe to, to deal with such a big increase in demand? Uh, for us, technology has been uh, an incredible tool to ensure we would be able to support the, the surge in demand. Uh, I think in Amazon, usually we have uh, a an inventiveness that is proverbial. And I think it was quite intriguing to see us applying that inventiveness to ensure we would be able to answer the customer demand in, in so many different circumstances and in, so, in such a difficult scenario like the pandemic. I, I must admit though that I, I think technology played a key role uh, what surprised me the most, though, was the reaction of our workforce. I think we're still made of hundreds of thousands of workers here in Europe. And I think the motivation of our people, uh, the ability to, uh, to find the right rationale to be there for the customer was quite, uh, quite important as well. So working for Amazon is a pretty high pressure environment, right, Stefano? It's always been the case, even before the pandemic. So how did your staff adapt then to the increased pressure, to the big increase in demand? Can you describe that for us? I don't know if it's a high pressure environment. What I do know is that we, um, we have a very peculiar culture that uh, is very focused on few things that do matter whether it is the customer, the safety of our workforce, I, I think we needed to do things in order to make sure that this continuous peak mode would be manageable. And I give you a very simple example that I think is very important. So with my direct managers, I usually in normal times would have a, a catch up every week of a couple of hours in order to make sure we would have a place to regroup at the end of the day, I split those two hours in 30 minute sessions every day. So we would be able to interact and 
to a degree, find a place where it was uh, okay, go beyond you know, your normal emails and duties, where it was okay to say, you know, I need to take a day off. So I think the pressure is what you make. If you can create the right environment with your people, um, then I think the, the pressure becomes uh, less of a, an issue in kicks in motivation. This is actually a second key point. When you are running such a large operation and you need to face those unprecedented conditions, to know that what you're doing matters is very important. A couple of examples would be, you know, shipping um, breakfast to children in the UK. It motivates the team. It's on top of what we usually do, but we decided to spin up an operation to do that. Or we provided a new fulfillment center that was due to launch later in the year to, to the British government to ship uh, test kits to the NHS. Stefano, you've told us about many different changes that you've brought in at Amazon over the last year. Staggered shifts, the health and safety measures, prioritizing certain customer orders and so on. Which of these changes do you think are going to become permanent at the organization, pandemic or no? It's a, it's a question we ask ourselves uh, quite often. I think there are some process changes that resulted into an advantage. You know, you, out of necessity, you discover things that then become part of your uh, modus operandi. So, for example, the fact that you stagger shifts or you stagger access to a canteen or the fact that you can, for example, have one-way passages within the building creates a sense of flexibility, a sense of uh, proper uh, process flow. So there are things that we will carry with us because they, A, can represent an advantage to the workforce, or B, can become a process advantage for the future. So yes, we took, we took a lot of learnings out of the situation. Our podcast series is called Resilience Recast. What have you learned about resilience from the pandemic? For me, it was really critical to constantly interact with my team. Um, it's, the only, it's the only thing that made it, I think, very, um, very real. You know, we, we've been through the screen a lot, but for me, it was important to ensure these constant touch points for people working homebound. For the people that were on, on the field, I think what matters a lot is motivation. We are doing this because is making you safe. We are doing this because will help the customers. And, and that those two things were re really important takeaways, or we are doing this because actually it's not our business, but can help, you know, can help uh, the British governments with the test kits, can help uh, the local hospital with additional masks. To have this direct um, sense of purpose shared with the teams was clearly a great element to ensure resilience. Stefano Perego, thank you so much for joining us on Resilience Recast. Ciao, thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Resilience Recast. This episode brings our series to a close. Throughout the podcast, we've explored the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the fabric of our work and lives, with leaders who've experienced firsthand what it means to rise to this unprecedented challenge. We've discussed how the rapid acceleration of technological change enabled us to reinvent our ways of working overnight and underpinned the development and deployment of vaccines at speed. Our lives became ever more digital as we moved everyday tasks such as banking and grocery shopping online. The need for speed also led to the creation of new training programs that made it possible to reskill people for essential frontline roles in a matter of hours or days. There've been many lessons on resilience along the way, including improving channels of communication with both employees and customers, making sure decision-making and planning is based on input from diverse teams, reinforcing a seamless customer experience in the face of sudden spikes in demand, and the fundamental necessity of taking care of our health and mental well-being. While the pandemic has been shocking in very many ways, it's also inspired widespread innovation and the promise, perhaps, of a more resilient and inclusive future. Be sure to check out all the episodes in the series. From me, Nisha Pillay, thanks so much for joining us. Goodbye for now. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital, work-from-anywhere world, visit salesforce.com.